Offside is the name of a Facebook page that's been started by a youth soccer referee in Oklahoma. His name is Brian Barlow. His Facebook page has 100,000 followers. And what he does is he solicits videos of, of parents and coaches behaving badly and he, at these games, and he posts them on his Facebook page. He says this, I do it to hold people accountable. It's a very visual deterrent, and not just to the person caught on video, but to others who ask themselves, do I look like that jerk? And he says, many do, many do. There's a lot of that going on. Seventy percent of these youth referees quit within the first three years, mostly because of the abuse that they receive. One young referee wrote into Barlow, he said, I recently refed my first few games. The best way to describe my experience would be disgusting. This was one of the worst experiences of my life. I felt harassed and mistreated. My first games were all back to back to back, and I was the only ref there. I had people cursing me out and staying after their game was over to continue harassing me. I never want to ref again. He said, I spent $200 on the training and the, and the videos and the reading. I just want my money back. If I could get a refund, that would be great. Thank you very much. Uh, so my grandson was playing baseball this past season for the first time, nine years old, and over at the field complex, they had signs posted that read, no baseball scouts are looking at your child today. No scholarships will be awarded on this field today. And before you complain, have you volunteered yet? Hey, Jeff Bridges uh, wrote a book entitled Respectable Sins. He defines impatience as follows. Impatience is a strong sense of annoyance at the usually unintentional faults and failures of others. When we see people misbehaving like that at a soccer game or a baseball game or a youth basketball game, don't you have to wonder, I wonder what they're like at home. If they're like this in public, they've got to be worse in the home. Now, we're, we're in a sermon series called Family Matters, Love Matters. The, the central idea, the thesis is, is that the best shot at having a flourishing family is to incorporate biblical love, the principles of biblical love in that family. We don't want to be nebulous about what we mean when we say love. So we're using 1 Corinthians chapters, chapter 13 verses 4 through 7 as our primary text, as our springboard. Number of traits of love are listed there. And we're going to take each one is going to be the heart of a message in this series. And today is patience, patience. We want to say four things about loving patience in the family today. Thing number one, patience slows down. Patience slows down. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. If we brought out the Greek and did a word study on patience, we would find descriptors like this. It means to be slow towards, to be long-enduring, to be indulgent, to wait. So does that describe us in our families? Are we slow toward our spouses or toward our children or maybe toward our parents? Are we indulgent? Do we wait? They say that opposites attract. For instance, they say an introvert often will marry an extrovert. A spender will marry a saver. 
And I, I think also sometimes type A's marry type B's. And that could lead to friction. My wife and I had to laugh when we watched an animated movie that came out a few years ago called Zootopia. And in the movie Zootopia, all of the characters are animals. And the detective is a rabbit. So the rabbit detective goes to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, because she needs to trace the license plate of a suspect. When she gets to the DMV, she finds that it's populated by all the employees are sloths. I want to show you a little clip here from Zootopia. Okay, all right, cut it right there, Just, I can't show you the whole clip, I just can't. It goes on and on. The rabbits in here would be going crazy, I promise you. But Tammy and I are cracking up when we're watching that because there's a rabbit and a sloth in our marriage. Now, I'll leave it to you to determine who's who. Some of you who know us, you, you know who's who. But so for the rabbits, sometimes it's very frustrating to live with the sloths. We have to, but my point is, loving patience slows things down. Slow it down. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, writes this about love. Love is painfully time-consuming. All parents know this, as do all lovers and most long-term friends. Hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, a husband, even as a hu human being, are when I'm in a hurry, late for an appointment, behind on my unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my day. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging, the antithesis of love. If you don't believe me, next time you're trying to get your type B wife and three young, easily distracted children out of the house and you're running late, just pay attention to how you relate to them. Does it look like love? Does it feel like love? Or is it far more in the vein of agitation, anger, a biting comment, a rough glare? Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply don't mix. Hence, in the Apostle Paul's definition of love, the first descriptor is patient, patient. In his book, he also provides a description and an evaluation of what he calls hurry sickness. If we've got this, we're always in a hurry. We, we, are, we are contaminated with hurry sickness. And he's got these 10 diagnoses. So let's think about ourselves. Let me run through these very quickly. Number one is irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. People must tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger, to self-diagnose. Don't look at how you treat a colleague or a neighbor. Look at how you treat those closest to you, your spouse, children, roommate, etc. Number two, Second symptom, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings. A grumpy email, little turn of events. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. Three, 
restlessness. When you do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You read Scripture but find it boring. You have a quiet time with God but can't focus your mind. Four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't stop. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. By day's end, you have nothing left to give to your spouse, children, or loved ones. Five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel another's pain, or your pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have time for it. Number six, out-of-order priorities. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet you still feel like you don't have time for what really matters to you. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants. You gain weight, get sick multiple times a year, regularly wake up tired, don't sleep well, live off caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what's life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn, name your preferred cultural narcotic. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. The things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your first go-to, such as quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, worship on Sunday, a meal with your community. And then number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. How do we score? Well, how do we score? Now, this is not to make any of us, you know, play the guilt card here. It's just to acknowledge that the new normal in our culture is hurry, hurry, and hurry is toxic to relationships, to love, and to family. And this is not a message on how to slow things down in our lives. You have to figure that out for your life, and I have to figure it out for my life. But just maybe a little motivation to do so. Loving patience slows down. Number two, patience waits. Patience slows down, patience waits. Now, in the uh, church at Corinth, this is the context for this chapter, the whole section on love, they were very impatient and unloving towards each other. We have the Lord's Supper here every Sunday. We've already done that. We come, we have a little piece of bread and a cup of juice. Back then, apparently, it was more like a full-blown meal. And I think they had the elements of the Lord's Supper at the very end. But they were being impatient with each other in the church. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, when you come together, you're not really eating the Lord's Supper. This is because when you eat, each person eats without waiting for the others. So some people don't get enough to eat, others too much to drink. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Must have been embarrassing. When I picture it like this, say we're having the Lord's Supper, and here's Shirley Reese Snyder, you know, she's making her way slowly up. And, and then Raul, he sees we're running low on cups. We've only got one cup left, so he makes a jump for it, grabs the one cup, knocking Shirley over in the process. Raul, how could you do that? I don't know. So that's the kind of thing that's going on, and they're, so they're not waiting for each other. Part of this, the whole business what uh, of, of patient, patient love, the love part and patience, the waiting part, putting somebody else before ourselves, letting somebody else go first, not taking the last piece of pie, 
in the refrigerator. Denying ourselves. Paul writes in Philippians 2, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The sin of impatience is selfishness, self-indulgence. It's me and my. You know what's important? My schedule, my agenda today. And you, because you're obtuse or because you're slow, because you don't understand or because of your flaws, you have become an obstacle to me realizing my goals. It's about me and my. That's the sin part of it. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We have to get out of ourselves. Our, everybody's got a little narcissism in them. You know what a narcissist is? Somebody who's in love with themselves. Well, we all love ourselves, and we, got to, we, we want to get out of that. Love drives us to come out of ourselves. Ronald Rollheiser has written a book called Domestic Monastery, and in one chapter, he writes about how spiritual leaders down through the centuries have noted if you, if you want to grow and mature spiritually, you need to spend about an hour a day in Scripture and prayer. And he was talking on that to an audience one day, and a mother with young children came up to him afterwards. She says, look, I hear what you're saying. I don't think that's possible for me. There's almost no way I'm going to spend an hour a day. These kids are going to be all over me. And Rawlheiser says there was a time in his life when he would have replied to her, you especially need an hour a day of prayer. If your life is that hectic, but he says he's learned differently. That's not how he responded to her. He said this, if you are home alone with small children whose needs give you little uninterrupted time, then you don't need an hour of private prayer daily. Raising small children, if it is done with love and generosity, will do for you exactly what private prayer does. He goes on to explain in the chapter, certain vocations, for example, raising children, offer a perfect setting for living a contemplative life. The mother who stays home with small children experiences a very real withdrawal from the world. Her existence is certainly monastic. Her tasks and preoccupations remove her from the centers of social life and important power. She must put her own desires aside. Her schedule is not her own. Her time is not her own. She's meeting the needs of others. Now, he's not saying anything negative about prayer. He's talking about part of the function of family, and, and mothers in particular, but family in general forces us to grow up and to mature and start putting someone else before ourselves. It's a great tool of God for doing that. Okay, so we're talking about patience. Pa loving patience in the family slows things down, waits for someone else. Thirdly, patience calms. Patience calms. Solomon writes, Proverbs 15, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So there's, I mean, I could wait for someone and do so in a passive-aggressive way. Right? I'm waiting for them, but looking at my watch, doing the side eye, got a little tone, right, a little attitude in my voice, maybe snarky comments. 
True patience, loving patience, waits but waits patiently, loses the anger. I mean, waiting with anger does not accomplish anything, and anger adds nothing into the dynamic of any relationship. The anger is part of the sin. We think I'm entitled to my anger. I am not entitled to the anger. Chris Voss in his book, Never Split the Difference, great book. Chris Voss, he was the chief hostage negotiator for the FBI for a number of years. This is back before the FBI had become what it is today, back in the good old days of the FBI. He was a chief hostage negotiator. He's written a book called Never Split the Difference about his experiences, how to use what he learned in everyday life and business, but also in family and relationships, communication, negotiation. I found what he wrote uh, in this in particular applicable to patience calms. He said, people tend to focus all their energies on what to say or do, but it's how we are. Our general demeanor and delivery that is both the easiest thing to enact and the most immediately effective mode of influence. Our brains don't just process and understand the actions and words of others, but their feelings and intentions too. The social meaning of their behavior and their emotions on a mostly unconscious level. We can understand the minds of others, not through any kind of thinking, but through quite literally grasping what the other is feeling. When we radiate warmth and acceptance, conversations flow. That's why your most powerful tool in any verbal communication is your voice. You can use your voice to intentionally reach into someone's brain and flip an emotional switch, distrusting to trusting, nervous to calm. In an instant, the switch will flip just like that with the right tone. He says you want to use your FM radio DJ voice. Tone it down. Slow it down. Calm it down. Someone has said everybody brings to a conflict a bucket, either a bucket of water or a bucket of gasoline. You ever heard this? So if you've got a flame, some frustration, the embers are starting to burn and some altercation. If I run up with my attitude, my tone of voice, my snarky comment, my cynicism, I'm carrying a bucket of gasoline, I pour it on the coals, things escalate, the flame burns, nobody wins. If you come up, when a conflict is beginning, the embers are starting to, burning, to burn, and you come and you slow things down, use the calm voice, ask a question, wait, listen, you've got the bucket of water, you pour that on the coals, things de-escalate calm down. There's room now for love, understanding, communication. Patience calms things down. What's in your bucket? What's in my bucket? Final thing about patience this morning. Patience waits. Patience waits. Psalm 27. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yet wait patiently for the Lord. Now, I've said patience waits twice. This was actually point two, was patience waits. But that's patience waiting on other people. Uh, this is patience waits on God. Wait patiently for the Lord. So when our children are small, I would say prepubescent children, we can fix unwanted behavior. We can. We don't have to 
tolerate or allow unwanted behavior. In fact, we should. We should fix that in young children. That's, that's a display of love to discipline young children in the family. Now, when children grow older, so you get to be teenagers and beyond, now you've got a different story and a different dynamic. Let's think for a minute about our grown family members. If you're married, you have a spouse. Your spouse has hurts, habits, hang-ups, baggage, and sin. And so does your spouse's spouse. Your children who are grown, they have hurts, habits, hang-ups, baggage, and sin. And so do their parents. And what we want to do now with the adult members of our family, and we see how they're wrong or broken or sinful or their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, we want to jump in there and fix them. We want to fix that. And when we can't, we get frustrated. Or we want God to fix it. And we want it fixed like yesterday. And when he doesn't or doesn't seem to be fixing it, we get frustrated. We become impatient and angry. So I'm just going to do it myself. The problem is we can't. You can't fix another person. Anybody who's been to an Al-Anon meeting knows what this is. That's called codependency. It's the idea you can fix someone else's problem, a grown person. We can't. We have our part. That person has their part, and God has his part. And we can't do their part, and we can't do God's part. Our part is to wait, to maintain a posture of love and patience and encouragement and positivity and truth, love and truth, maybe to set a boundary. I'm not saying, you know, patience is not passivity. We may set a boundary, but we understand it's God who does the changing and God who does the fixing. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a prayer group that meets in our church. They meet right over here on the West Wing at 930. They pray for prodigals, prodigals. That's somebody who's taking a walk on the wild side in the family. As a book, they use this book called The Prodigal Prayer God. That was written by Francine Perry. Francine Perry, Christian woman. She had a daughter, grew up, Laura, raised in a, in a Christian family. But Laura came out as transgender Decided she was a man, she's going to live as a man, which she did for several years. Well, her mom prayed for her, prayed and waited, and surrendered. She had to surrender herself to the Lord for all of these years. Eventually, the daughter, Laura, circled back around, found she was not happy living as a man. She, uh, even though she'd gone through puberty blockers and surgery, she detransitioned back to a woman. She married a man. Now she has a ministry. She's written a book called Transgender to Transform. She's got a blog by the same name. So happy ending. And I know not all stories of waiting end with a happy ending. I get that. But our best chance of doing so is to be patient and loving and let God do what only God can do. Notice Francine said of her daughter Laura, God had to do a work in me while he was doing a work in her. And during these frustrating times when we're turning other people over to God, God is working in us while we wait too. So let me ask you a question. It's rhetorical. Please do not answer out loud. How long has God been working on you and your junk, your sin, your hurts, habits, and hangups? Decades. 
And we hope, our hope and confidence is that God will not give up on us. That God is going to be patient with us. He won't withdraw His Holy Spirit from us. Even though we're, Lord, here it is, it's me again. No. That God will patiently love us and continue that process of transformation. If we're hoping God will be patient with us in that way, how can we treat any of our family members any differently than loving patience? Final quote in his book, Three Mile an Hour God, the author says, God walks slowly because he is love. If he were not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow. Yet it is Lord over all the other speeds since it is the speed of love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we think about patience this morning, first of all, we're so grateful and thankful that you have patiently waited for us and continued to do so as we follow you to the best of our ability with the Holy Spirit's help. We pray, God, we can remember that as we're dealing with the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups and the faults and the problems and the baggage of our family members. We entrust them to you. Work in them as you're working in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we close up today, we had a baptism this past week. Theda Holland was baptized into Christ over at Scott Blount's pool on Friday. Let's show you that video. All right. Theda Holland, upon your confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 